You're on the Plants Grow Here podcast. I'm Daniel Fuller. Come along with me as we enter a hidden world of deep horticultural, ecological and landscape gardening knowledge with featured experts, industry professionals and enthusiasts. Usually on this podcast, I like to interview people from within my own professional circles, such as through the Australian Institute of Horticulture, social media connections or friends of friends. This week's guest is my mum, a property developer in Brisbane. She's grown from developing small townhouses and houses when I was a kid to developing a decent unit complex on a couple of acres in a relatively inner suburb of Brisbane. In this episode, we'll understand the mind of a property developer. How can we win work from these key decision makers? How do they view the value that we bring as landscapers, ecologists and amenity horticulturists in the context of a whole development? And are developers heartless beings who exist solely to extract value from society without giving anything back? I'm not going to let her off the hook just because she's my mum, and hopefully you enjoy the uncomfortable questions that I ask her as we address some of the elephants in the room. Welcome to the show, mum. Hey, Daniel. How you going? Good, (laughs) mum. Okay, so I'd like to explore some of the nuance with you. I think that as horticulturists, landscape architects, landscape construction professionals, we tend to overvalue what we bring in the garden to somebody like you. And I want to give us a bit of a reality check. So can you start off by telling us what is the purpose of like horticulture and landscaping from your perspective as a developer? Well, it kind of it's, comes at the end of a job and um, it's just to tidy off and make the place look good. Yeah, so it might not be what people want to hear, um, <laughs> for, <laughs> but in a development, it's um, by the time you get to the end of a development, you've been through a lot and there's a lot of money going out and you're just racing to get to the end. And on a development, you've got a certification that you've got to have ticked off for the landscaping. And sometimes that's kind of all you need is just get ticked off, to be honest. And right. So that yeah. term developers parsley really rings yeah. true. It's like it's a little bit of garnish on the side. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'd just like to premise this with I'm sorry. Yes, I know. But but that's what this is. We're having a reality check here. Can you tell us like a little bit about what goes into your thought process about who you hire and who you don't? Like what are some red flags for someone? Like what can someone say that just you're like, oh, no, not you, someone else? And what can like what are some of the factors that go into your decision-making process when you're looking at different contractors, landscape architects, ecologists, and landscapers and, you know, other trades? Um, if I have somebody come to the site and they're, oh, we're going to do this, it's going to be so great, it's going to make this and we're going to make that, we're going to put this in and we're going to put this in and I go, no, you're not, thank you. Because it's just like for me that's a bit, I I just want them on a development site, like that for a home occupier, that would be what you'd, you know, you'd do Mm. because you want to get the homeowner enthused so that they're, um, you know, they're going to have a beautiful garden after you finished and, of course, be willing to pay for that beautiful garden. But a developer, 
I just I, I kind of want to get the certification and I want to um, have it as, as cheap as I can. Sorry, Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> you know that. You know me. Yes, that's right. I do know you. Um, <laughs> so, um, look, it's. I guess it's a bit like, I guess by being overly enthusiastic about things that I'm enthusiastic about, I might turn you off. Whereas someone who's like, okay, so, well, we're in zone seven, such and such and such and such under the code. That means that we're allowed um, three lots for this amount of space and we can subdivide into three lots um, within that space. You, Karen, you need to retain X and X and X and X, whether that's, um, you know, these trees or whether that's the bio basin at the back or something like that. So I guess that that would be more the language you're looking at. Someone who's just going to look at the facts rather than get all hyped up on how passionate they are about plants. Oh, that, what you're talking about, that's early on in the project with the landscape architect, they comply with the code and they'll put the species and or if, if you have a species list. Um, but what I'm talking about is when you come in to quote for a job, it's good to have, be a bit excited. But it, what I'm saying is the enthusiasm that you use on a domestic house or a renovation or dealing with an owner-occupier is different to speaking to a developer because it's um, – you know, we're just looking at the cost of the quote and what, you know, we're going to get, what we're going to get out of it. You know, so I'm not really that excited about something that's going to look great. Um, I want it to look good and I want it to be cost effective. Okay. So I guess you're viewing it as an investment and not a passion project. Yeah, I mean, I guess that, it, you know, it is. I'd like to have my cake and eat it too. <laughs> I'd like for yeah. it to look Because I know that's, that's not necessarily the whole truth because I know you and I know how much time you spent during those initial dreaming phases of really walking around the property and thinking about how are people going to use this space, who am I going to, like, create these spaces for, how can I best design the space for them. Like, the whole thing was designed around who would be living there like every thought process every decision along the way so it's not the whole truth when you say um oh i don't care about you know amenity and i don't care about beauty and this and that 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 would be a half truth wouldn't you say yeah well yes um you got me it is true um i do spend a lot of time dreaming and i do spend a lot of time thinking and i always see beautiful landscape trees with you know weeping branches and people sitting on seats mm. in beautiful little gardens and sipping their cups of tea or you know mm. um <laughs> uh but i guess that process is taken away from me to a certain extent with the landscape architect with the plans so it's always such an ex expensive thing to have to um comply with how they want it done because the code means that you have to have plants in certain places. I'd much prefer to spend money on a big streetscape type tree and have, um, you know, I'd, I'd probably do it differently, And but that's just. Can you expand on that? What do you mean by that? Well, say, for instance, um, if you've got a townhouse and you've got a very small little courtyard in the back, um, so... As part of the code, you have to have a planting so much against the back fence and you have to do this and you have to do that. Um, those trees that are 
in that space invariably die anyway as soon as tenants are in um, because and it's the grass takes over. Um, <laughs> people want people want a little people want grass in their backyard for a dog or for kids to play on. They don't necessarily want a garden bed. They just want like on a small area at the back. If it was me just for selling. I'd just have it all grass. I wouldn't have any trees in it. wouldn't have any plantings at all. I'd have plantings in the front, but that's, well, certainly for Brisbane City Council when, you know, when I was going through the DA and the last one, you have to have plantings in the backyard mm. of a townhouse. I mean, I think it's just people want grass. Okay, so that's how we end up with these horrible beds that are just like, a bunch of quarter lines all in a row that have brush cutter marks all around the base or some philodendron zonadu that just gets hedge trimmed back to the timber edging and mulch that gets all through the all through the the grass as dogs you know try and dig under the fence and whatnot whereas uh, I guess so that would be an example of what I, a term of what that I heard probably a bit growing up which would be red tape right yeah for <laughs> sure yeah no it's true like and you know, people want a grass. People want what well, that I've been a landlord and, you know, I've sold properties and a green turfed area at the back of a property adds a lot of value. And, I mean, it looks nice yeah. to have the plantings and, and that. I, I get it. But for use, if you've got, um, you know, two little kids, it's really nice to have a backyard and you've got a dog. Mm. Even if it's a townhouse, just a little bit of grass is nice. Mm-hmm. And some people like plants. That's okay. That, but I, I would just put in grass. I wouldn't put in the plantings, you know, the garden beds at the back. Right. I'd save that money and put that into a big, just a couple of big trees at the front at the entrance of the site or at the front door or on the street. You know, I'd put the money I'd buy more established trees, you know. You like remember that last one with the water. Oh, here's my favorite tree: water housing floribundas. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like I got, uh, oh, I think got fifteen of them, and they were like, I had to get them in a truck. Man, they made it look good. Mm-hmm. And I know I you saved- love a good water. Oh, sorry, go on. <laughs> no, I love I love Waterhouse Floribundas. They're my favourite tree for Queensland. <laughs> I think uh, it's it's so funny because you and I butt heads about this all the time. Not about Waterhouse Floribundas. They're an amazing tree, but <laughs> Mum doesn't like eucalypts. <laughs> Defend yourself. <laughs> but like for a development, they just use up. They've got such a huge footprint, right? And if they've got a tree protection zone on them, it's it. You know, you might have two townhouses where gum tree is. I mean, obviously there are different types of eucalypts. Like, let's just face it. Like um, a Carimbia maculata or or a you know river red gum is a different thing to like a silver princess, like a eucalyptus seizure. Like, um, but but I guess when when we're talking about eucalypts, we're talking about the bigger ones in this context, like a grey gum or something like that, right? So, yeah, yeah. if you've got a grey gum, and then by the time that the development's done, they've probably been knocked around a bit. <laughs> and then, then the plumber, you save mm. all these trees. We had that. Remember that plumber went and um, I was away, and he trenched all the way through the roots of these beautiful mm. um, brush boxes. Killed all, killed all four that had been environmental protection zone, all saved. Mm all 
all dead within six months because you trenched up through the roots. <laughs> so did that mistake? So obviously that mistake cost you the because those trees had a value. So that mistake cost you that. But did you have to pay a fine on top of what that cost you, or did he have to pay a fine, or what happened there? Yeah, nothing happened. And I don't know. Right. I don't know why. I don't know how it mm. didn't get like picked up. But anyway, it didn't, and he. He got the um, sewage through to the instead of going down the boundary line across, and that was on the plan. He just went straight through the guts of the side, right. through where all the tree protection zone, and right. those were the actual nice trees. Could he should have done, you know, killed some of those grey gums? If he's gonna, sorry, I'm just, I'm just joking. You'd have to delete that. Daniel. She's trying to trigger me. It's all right. You it's just all right. Have to delete that. No, we can't all have good taste. No, I'm not going to delete that. <laughs> Is that all right if I don't do it? <laughs> I don't care. Okay, so um, like you must see the value of trees then. So you, you talk a big game about, okay, so only lawn out the back. I think we're talking about smaller plots here. Tell me about the value of a tree from a developer's perspective, especially an established older tree like 10 plus years or even 20 plus years. As a developer, I guess it just depends on the what you're being is, you know, being developed. A house as a high-end renovation in a um, prestigious suburb, a, a big streetscape tree would probably be saved at any cost. Well, not any cost, but it would have mm. a high value, right? But if you've got in that same suburb, if it's zoned for development and you've got a tree that is um, not protected, so some some large trees aren't protected yeah it if it's a development site there's just no way that you could keep that tree because the yield you wouldn't be able to get the yield right you wouldn't be able to get the number of lots by retaining the tree mm. so it just does come down to what you can get out of that site uh-huh okay and so i guess that that would be from my perspective like this podcast has the term ecology in it for a reason like i i do value ecology and i guess the the value of um of that some of that red tape that we were talking about not that not that I not that I think that you know that there's a nuance there because we do need some of that red tape to protect us from people like you <laughs> I love you too <laughs> well yeah it's true because if you don't have town planning you don't have regulation it's just a free for all and then it's the you know whatever is the lowest common denominator and everyone that's the low that's the benchmark right so by having town planning and you have rules around things it sort of keeps it an even a relatively even playing well theoretically even playing field for mm. everyone they have to comply with the same rules right but mm. i'll see somebody put in a da and or put in a um, application to try and remove a tree, and it's zero, no, refused. And then I'll see somebody else with some other town planner or some other ecology, beg your pardon, ecologist or whoever, put in, you know, next door for the same tree, you know, and I just can't understand how they get it approved. I, I think it must be just depending on who. You get on the day and who uh, submits it if they've got if they've found a little glitch or uh, yeah you th mm. I say it's an even playing field but it's not always right it just depends on you know 
the red tape, how you can... Property development is red tape, Daniel, because wading your way through the regulations, that's actually, that's where the juice is. Right. So if it was easy, everybody would do it. Is that what you mean? Yeah. And so that second person, that second town planner or ecologist, whoever, who got the tree tape, as much as I, I'm sorry, I'm I'm just giving this as an example. I'm not saying to cut down Mm. trees, but um, the second example being able to cut down a tree, get an approval to cut down a tree, is makes money, right? Because you've got a lot more yield. You can get, say, two more units on that site if you've mm. got that tree cut down. And that's that's a reality. Okay, so I guess someone sitting here listening to this might be saying, okay, so your individual good matters more than... Is that an oversimplified thing to say? Like, is there more value that a developer brings other than just remuneration for you and your family, you know, by cutting down that tree? Okay, so I can understand that because we, as a developer, you're there to make money. That's what you're doing it for. Like, I'm not um, a watchmaker. I'm a property developer. Mm. So if I wanted to make money, you know, as a watchmaker, I'd, that's my craft, whereas development is my craft. That's how I make money by doing things that seem impossible. Um, <laughs> like I, I'm the yeah. one who gets the approval to get that tree cut down. And I, I know that's not what you want to hear here, but that is actually how you make money. What about the value to society though? So is it just about the money for you? So it sounds like it is. Oh, no. From a personal point of view, like, um, I love streetscape trees and I understand about the, the amenity for a suburb and for a community for having large trees. I, yeah, I, I, I totally get that. And generally trees like that are protected and it's just there's just no, you know, way for a developer to um, remove the tree. Uh, and I, I guess I'm, we're playing the devil's advocate a bit here so you're trying to quiz me so you can tease out the train of thought of you know the the thought process that I go through and then how the consultants um you know uh are engaged to um you know to potentially remove a tree so if it if it's Mm -hmm. a beautiful streetscape tree like you're talking about generally they'd be protected but I'd like to say that urban sprawl is a thing too so young families commuting into the city it's quite um, greedy, perhaps even, of people who live in these big wealthy suburbs with the big streetscape trees to be forcing people to move to the outer um, suburbs because, you know, we won't densify, we won't increase the density on the inner suburbs. And so that's infill development. And with infill development, you've got, you know, less sewage cost to get to a development and everything's closer together you're closer to work you're closer to the city so I guess you got to trade off the tree to you know keeping intact forest at the you know that's being consumed by 800 square meter blocks out in the outer suburbs so one tree in the inner city you know or you know 
yeah. sprawl out to the suburbs. This is where we're going to get into the juice of it. Okay, so if we're talking about protecting one tree in the inner city, we're trading it for trees out in the outer suburbs, like around North Lakes and Griffin and those areas where we really are chopping down a lot of trees. So yeah. it's sort of like it's a false economy, isn't it? It's that overly simplistic thinking of like save the trees and, and everyone wants to get on board because we say save the trees. But maybe there's a little bit more to it than what appears on the surface. Well, sometimes I think it's not in my backyard, NIMBY. Um, yeah. So NIMBY would be a mentality. Can you explain what NIMBY means? Well, it means not in my backyard. So if you're living next door to a zone development site and you realize the suburb's changing and there's more infill, there's more development, and you stand up there with your placard and you fill in your petitions and you object against the any development, um, that, that's because you want to maintain your living standard in your suburb. And I, I get that. I really understand that. But young people have a need in society too, and I'm not being all righteous about this, but there is a shortage of housing and I'd, I'd actually say one of the things is that people keeping trees in big leafy suburbs, I mean, as nice as it is, I'd, I'd just say that um, some development closer to the city will help take the burden off commute as a society overall. It's a pretty strong case for at least looking at um, looking at things a little bit differently if you're like very much like, um, I don't want to say left wing, but like very much like into environmentalism as I am. I'm, I've considered myself an environmentalist, which was a term that I didn't really resonate with for a long time just because I felt like it was something that was concerned with, that, that I felt like it was something that was um, meant you undervalued other other values within society but I don't think I think we need to be taking a much more nuanced view and I guess that that's what we're, we're trying to achieve with this episode is we're trying to look beyond our own you know worldview. Oh so okay we had that that development site that had the waterway corridor at the back and the one of the petitions that I will call him um, a NIMBY he, he was saying that that somebody taken a photo of a koala in a, um, a grey gum now, the thing is, in you know nine kilometres from the city in Brisbane, a, a koala, unfortunately, they're going to be crossing over roads and to keep trees for koalas that close to the city is sort of, I think it's it's not great because right. I, I think you should be keeping intact forest that they have big areas that they can use. So, so that just the cutting up of farmland and... Um, you know, urban sprawl and development out in the suburbs, it's not without environmental consequence either, do you know? Like, mm. so I guess that it's more visible when you've got trees being cut down in an established suburb, but trees are being cut down in clear felled for development in the suburbs too. So I don't know, if you do infill, mm -hmm. like apartments, there's there's a lot of need for apartments and I'm not saying that's the only thing, but if... You know, we go back to that thing we were talking about before about two lots. If one developer gets, a, a, you know, like a large tree cut down and they can get some extra units on, I actually think that may be better as, it, you know, like having that close to the city that there's more, um, you know, townhouses than have it in urban sprawl, you know. Yeah, that that is uh, an probably uh, an interesting take for a lot of listeners. 
Um, and it also brings me back to a point that I made, well, you made, but I, I allowed you to make <laughs> um, earlier <laughs> in the episode. <laughs> um, you said about the koala and I wanted to, we got sidetracked and I was going to ask you about uh, an example. So can you tell us how, like, as a contractor, whether we're an ecologist, whether we're a landscaper or a landscape architect, like, how can that initial meeting with you, how can we show ourselves that we understand your values and your worldview and that we're ready to help you achieve what you want to achieve rather than um, maybe turn you off a little bit? And I think that that koala example, you had a good example from that, didn't you? Yeah. Um, so I had two fauna spotters um, that, you know, I was getting a quote from each of them and one guy um he was very passionate and that that's great but um he was going to shut down the building site if any there was any um f- you know any animals on the site that might be in danger which you know and just the language that he used i've i've got a lot of risk by the time you actually um got um earth moving equipment ready to arrive and you've got your finance you've got everything so it's um, it's a big risk um, that somebody could shut a building site down uh, for a, an animal. And, like, I understand that they need to be relocated or whatever needs to happen, but it's been a lot of process that's happened before you get to the point where you've got earth-moving equipment. It's, it has all been dealt with except for any animals that happen to be there on the time. So, you know, like, I, I'm acutely aware of... Um, you know, wildlife being cared for, okay? So that's, I'm not talking about that. This is just a development thing and and hiring contractors. So the second guy, um, he said, oh, you know, we'll comply with the code. You'll have certification. Uh, you know, if any animals um, are in danger, we'll have them uh, relocated according to the requirements in the report. And he spoke my language that he was going to do what needed to be done rather than just go shooting off and you know close down a building site so I guess that that's always a thing that's um I probably didn't say to the first guy oh look gosh you're a risk to me but that's what I was mm. thinking so he never got that feedback and he's going to go on to the next client now and say that same spiel yeah and wonder why he's not getting jobs with developers yeah, that, that's really the point that I'm trying to make with this whole episode is if we want to work with other people, we need to understand how they think and yeah. hopefully we can help some people win some more work through this. Yeah. So tell me the second guy. What did the second guy say to you that turned you on to him? Oh, he just he just understood what my needs were. So he understood that I he I think he probably even said, I guess you've got earth moving um, ready to come on site what's your start date so just even just that speaking that language because mm. it's um I'm, i guess that it's still you've got so much at risk right okay so he was talking about like the codes okay so you need to adhere to this code ahc 7001 and what that means is we're going to need to do this it's like he's looking at it from your perspective rather than the other guy and the other guy's absolutely correct we're going to shut down earth moving if there's a koala but it was it seems like it was his language that he used and just where his head was at 
It was all about him, 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 and what he, like his beliefs, what he wants to achieve, and not about what you're thinking about, which is adhering to the code. So I saw him as an activist and, uh, right. you know, like that. Um, that's, that's a risk for me, Daniel, you know, like that, yeah. Because, again, it matters more to you that you get more, you know, you, you meet budget and stuff like that rather than Blinky Bill. Blinky Bill can just go to hell. <laughs> You know that's not true. You know that that's not how I feel. You know that I'm of, like, me personally, I'm trying to give you an example of how it works in the real world, and I'm, you know that I would never do that. So, yeah, next question, Daniel. But out of sight, <laughs> out of mind. <laughs> Just stop it. Stop it. Stop the people it. want to know, stop. though, like, the, the, you know, you, you hear, like, oh, I don't want to stop earth moving for koalas. And it does like, you know, why shouldn't people be concerned about developers? You know, like why shouldn't they be concerned about that? Should they like, do we need to reassess this and think like, okay, maybe we should have gone with the first guy. He had, he had his head screwed on straight. Well, I guess that um, really it's, it's all been dealt with from my point of view at the legislation point, you know, council, have set down rules and codes and the Queensland government have codes and rules and rules and codes and you comply with all of them. So by the time you actually get to the earthworks, it's all been dealt with. And so somebody who's um, emotional and, and like an activist, all I can do is think, oh, my gosh, you know, like I know that I've complied with the code but it's still a risk to me to close down a site. Like an earth-moving guy, you know, they've – uh, knock back other jobs so that they can start and everybody's lined up. You've got a lot of people that have got to coordinate. And so if somebody, I'm, you know, I, I know I'm giving this example, but um, it's the same with a lot of other things. Like it's if you say you're going to turn up for a job and you don't turn up, it it will leave a pretty bad taste in somebody's mouth if you, you know, let them down and you probably don't get mm. another chance with the next job. So people want to turn it into a morality issue, but it's just business. Yeah. Not that morals don't come into it necessarily because business is a moral thing, but um, mm -hmm. I guess you're not being as overly emotional and you're not being as precious about things. Um, you're, yeah. Yeah. You understand that sometimes you need to break a few eggs to make an omelette, I guess. And, like, from for me personally, I, you know, I understand I, I'm sympathetic to that viewpoint but as a developer I'm in a project and this is I've got you know I owe money to banks I've got um, pre-sales that I have to comply with so uh, yeah it is, there's a lot of concerns and I guess it's like some people might have one viewpoint and they're really passionate about that and they're activists for that or they kind of join groups that are for certain things that might be for save the koalas. I'm not, you know. Why does it sound like an insult when you say it? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You probably do too. You better no, no, that no, no, no. I'm just joking. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm just joking. Oh, oh, you put me on the spot. See, I'm trying to give so, a story about this, right? Oh, and I'm, I'm sorry. I know. I'm such, I'm such a bad host. I'm sorry. 
it's really hard interviewing your mum. It's really hard me interviewing with you because we should just we should put the recorder on with us sitting at the kitchen table. That's what mm. we should do because it's a bit That's weird. That's what we'll do for the next one. Because we've got the noise, right? Okay, so the next time we have to be in the same room because you told me I have to be in a separate – you're at your house and I'm at my house and I have to have my earphones on so that we don't – you know, you can have the two different tracks for the professional recording and it, mm. it's it's all a bit contrived, right? But never mind. That's right. We'll yeah, no. Well, we actually had this exact same conversation the other day, and oh, um, yeah. I'm Should glad that the record on I'm for glad that. that <laughs> no, well, I'm glad that we've um, been able to be as hard on the recording as I was on you without the recording, because um, I think sometimes by asking those tough questions in a tough way, um, it helps to illuminate. Uh, I, I'm not allowed to swear on the podcast, but absolute bs like oversimplifications and stuff like that so i hope the listeners can tell that when i'm telling them she doesn't care about blinky bill um that's not really the truth so mum when you're talking with uh, a contractor or um you know whether it's a tradie or whether it's a landscape architect or a town planner um or anyone who you're looking to work with it seems like what you need from them in that first conversation is that they show you that they know you they show that they understand where you're at what your values are and that doesn't mean that they don't care about the koalas that doesn't mean that they're not um, knowledgeable about how to do so what it means is that you're paying them so you need them on your team yeah that's true but there's the money <laughs> like it's like yeah. if you if you're quoting for a landscaping job or something like that it the price does matter but it is a holistic thing you've got to look at so you've got to look at um do i like the person do i feel a connection of you know do i think that they can do the job so that's the first filter um and then you'll ask them to quote um and then you look at the quote and you try to compare apples with apples and it's just, it's really hard. And I guess even if you have like a scope of works and you've got, a, you know, it is the landscaping um, section, um, you've got like a plant list or something, it's really hard to compare apples with apples. And a lot of the time it does come down to you make a decision based on personality Right, someone who you vibe with. Well, you know, if the prices are comparable, you choose the person you think is going to be easy to deal with. So what helps you, I guess, okay, so there's going to be an element of that that's just personal, like, okay, who gets along with you isn't going to necessarily get along with the next developer down the street, just on a personality level, right? Yeah. But beyond that, what can someone do that can put them in good stead with you? Like, okay, let's talk about clothing choices, good and bad clothing choices. Let's talk about um, just other factors that go into your decision. How can people listening to this, particularly landscapers, landscape architects, horticulturists and other people, how can they talk with somebody like you and convince you to give them work and to pay them money for their services? Okay, so I'll turn up for an appointment at site to um, review, you know, the job with the view for the person to quote and they'll be half an hour late or they won't turn up or they'll ring at the last minute, oh, sorry, I, I had a better job, you know, I can't make it. I think, mm. well, I'm not going to give them the job because if they're going to quote like um, that, mm. they're not going to be respectful through the whole job. 
But mind you, things happen and people can't always, circumstances do, you know, life happens, doesn't it? But Mm. um, that is a factor, being reliable in when you're quoting and doing what you say you're going to do and have the regular, you know, the paperwork and your insurances and everything in order and, you know, presenting well, that's, that's a factor. And those old things about, you know, if it's a, um, there is the personal aspect, so you do want to have a situation where you'll feel that people will want to do the right thing. But I've thought, I've had circumstances where I thought people are going to do the right thing and, well, they've not, right? But it's about convincing you that they're going to do the right thing. So I guess it would be. <laughs> That's the main thing. Convince me that they're going to do the right thing, not actually do yet. They actually need to yeah. do the right thing. Yeah. So I guess, okay, so a lot me. of these things are going to um, naturally manifest. So it's like if you're going to do the right thing, you're probably going to um, be this type of person who shaves before a meeting anyway. So you're going to be the type of person who wears. Um, something appropriate to the site. And sometimes that's going to be a high-vis workwear, sure. Sometimes that's going to be a polo shirt with a company logo. Or if you're a landscape architect or a town planner, you probably already know you're going to be turning up on site uh, in some business attire or some smart Yeah, I, I think I think this conversation is about the um, people doing the actual physical work, isn't it, Daniel? Yeah, I suppose so, yeah. So don't turn up in your in your thongs and your wife beater on, the, on day one maybe. <laughs> Um, and you talked about how people having a shave. I mean, well, Dad, you know, he, he was running building sites and, you know, like he looked as scrappy as they come. So you can't mm. judge a book by its cover. So, you know, like it is good to turn up in clean gear, you know, your polo or your clean high-vis. But for um, a gardening work, that isn't, that is, yeah, I don't mean to undermine you, but I, that's not going to be my whole decision on that because um, if you're my accountant and you had a blue singlet and like a, a five-day growth, that would, yeah, um, I'm just saying. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. And I can also see that um, maybe depending on who you're working with, I guess it all comes down to it, doesn't it? Because I, I think a lot, some people, not a lot of people, but some people would care about that. So I guess it just yeah. it, it comes back to, again, that emotional intelligence. You need to know who you're dealing with. You need to know um, your place within the situation. You need to know common protocols, like how we do it. Like if you're a landscape architect, you're already wearing the, the appropriate attire. But um, I guess what you're saying is that a landscaper can get away with their wife yeah. better on day one. <laughs> so they is that right? Is you that mean, what you mean? You mean a euphemism for a singlet? I yeah, like wife that's beating right. is like not. No, he doesn't have a, an cool, abusive husband Daniel. on his back. No, no, it's not. That's <laughs> not cool. Okay, so uh, and what, when you say that, that's actually so interesting as well because when people talk about landlords, which is another role that some developers have, they often say like, "Oh, what an easy job! All you do is landlord." But no, a landlord is a very difficult position, particularly when you have someone in the complex who is an abusive partner or something like that. Like things can get really tricky. (laughs) Why do you say that, Daniel? Hmm. (laughs) The system around these things is not very good and I think it's important as um, 
as anybody, in, in including horticulturists and landscapers, that we don't oversimplify the world and say, this is good, this is bad. Actually, some of these people who we work with, body corps, um, developers, landlords, they actually have a lot, they actually bring a lot more to the table and they, there may be more going on behind their eyes than what we than what we value. Hey, Dad and I like to go to, um, you know, viewings or, you know, to development sites looking. Like we don't dress up to go and that's, I guess that's, that's an unusual thing to do but you kind of get underestimated sometimes <laughs> um, and I'll, I'll never forget an elect- I was at a house renovation we were doing and I said to this electrician, oh, you need to do X, Y, Z, using some fairly technical terms. And he turned around to me and said, Karen, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but for a chick, you know a lot of... <laughs> SH. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, like, people underestimate me as a woman. Mm. They think that I don't know what I'm talking about on a building site and they'll just dismiss me. And I'm not talking... I'm, I don't... I'm not crying the gender card or anything but um don't underestimate women don't um think that it's always the husband who runs the whole thing because <laughs> husband dad and I are equal right we have different roles but we um yeah so I've had people just dismiss me I don't think dad could do what you do and I don't think you could do what dad does so yeah. I think that you guys work really well as a team because yep. I guess now dad's moved on to, um, I think, a new phase. Like dad comes from a background where he he was a manager, like a high-up manager for a large Australian company. Um, and, you know, he worked up from being on the tools and, and I think that that's, he's done a great job of that and he supported you during your seedling phase, yep. you know, while you were getting started with your stuff. And now from what you've done, you've allowed him to now move on to his next project, which I suspect yep. is probably, whether it's a conscious dream or an unconscious dream, I suspect that the cattle farm has been probably um, sitting back there in the back of Dad's mind for for a, probably a long oh, time. Oh, I think Dad's always, like when we moved back into town, um, I can remember with that a, a development site that it was in our backyard, so it was two acres in we actually had lived in the house. And so I was standing on the veranda the day that the bulldozer came to cut down on the trees <laughs> and Dad was crying because <laughs> oh. we'd been living on acreage in the yeah. city and he was living his best, you know, like it was a, it was a yeah. nice existence, right, as the birds all tweeting. I remember we had this massive big mulch pile out the back <laughs> and we used to go mowing and it was great. It's actually bonding between me and Dad was like doing all the mowing and, yeah, it was it was a it was a good time. So, what's it been like for you, Daniel, growing up on building sites, like development sites and houses that don't have walls? <laughs> um, <laughs> the main thing I learned was never to become a developer. <laughs> <laughs> That's my main takeaway. <laughs> I just looked at what you were doing and I just said, "Too hard, no way, no way." Oh, but a little it, part it, of me always <laughs> knew that I had the same creative thing as you, so it's like I think that I've gone on to do my own things, but it's just not to do with property. Well, I guess that people might not think that development is creative, right? So, um, yeah. but I'm really proud. Like I, I said earlier, I'm really proud of what we've done. We've created beautiful homes for people to live in, and so I'm really proud of that. And I'm proud of, um, you know, for the design and thinking about where people will live. And I don't think about the um, the 
the, the streetscape trees as much as when I think about the tile colour. But you all know. the turf. That was all one thing turf. you said you do value turf. But you also huh. didn't you didn't say um like in terms of like where your mind's at, like is is turf something that a landscaper should pitch to you? Like um or if so you you think of turf as being new turf rolls. I, I overuse the term turf just to mean lawns. You mean but, grass. Um, is, is that I mean grass. So is that a worthwhile <clears throat> investment for you? Are you go, are your ears gonna perk up if someone says, Hey, let's do something with this grass? Um, okay, so let's step away from development. Let's just go to um, renovation for a house. So a beautiful lawn looks great on realestate.com um, and it really can help um, increase the value or it certainly make a house appealing, right? So it's a pretty simple thing to do. Like a bit of painting, the, the equivalent of that in a garden is mm. fixing up the lawn. Um, and, you know, just trimming the property and making it look fantastic. So for homeowners wanting to sell their property, if you're thinking of doing that, you know, six or eight months beforehand, trim trim your shrubs, um, get everything, you know, put some fertiliser on your lawn, aerate your lawn or, you know, you've, you're more expert at that than me, Dan. But um, mm. if you've got a home that you want to, you're thinking of selling soon, getting the garden you know, ready six or eight months, 10 months, 12 months beforehand, it it, it can make such a difference to the saleability mm. of a house. And what do you think about like a lot of um, real estate? You, you brought up realestate.com.au. I, I think that there's some trick photography going on there, especially inside <laughs> the house. And also they do Photoshop the green, right, a lot of time <laughs> on the grass. I, I look if you've got a vacant house, you, it's it's kosher to add furniture, you know, like drop it in. Like Photoshop furniture in. Yeah, 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 that's fine. But I just don't know about greening up the lawn. I think that might be yeah, okay. that crosses you know, the false line, advertising. Yeah, I think it might be false. I don't know. People will obviously do it, but I think it might be false advertising. <laughs> the other, I guess the other side of the coin would be um, – a lawn looks different in six months' time than it does now. So I mean, you know, like if it's if it's Brisbane winter and it's it's dry, yeah. you know, you're saying to or summer and it's well, dry. God forbid. Yeah, well, it's not green here when it's summer. So, um, yeah, yeah I I think that um, so we're talking about if you're a homeowner, the biggest bang for your buck that you can get. Oh, from the outside of a house, obviously, is painting. Um, but then close after that, I'd think, is fixing the garden up, making the garden look okay. neat and tidy and clean and not any, yeah. you know, mulching. And it doesn't, doesn't have to spend a lot of money, but getting it ready and getting the grass greened up and, you know, use some of that spray weed and feed or whatever you use and mm. you know, getting it. Such an oversimplification, nice. but yeah. <laughs> uh, we, maybe we need to think about dethatching about- <laughs> earlier on. <laughs> or laying down new turf. Developers parsley. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can't remember if we mentioned part. developers parsley in this episode or if that was before we started recording. Oh, but yeah, developers parsley, it is true. I know. That's yeah. how you see it. That's what you think. That's what you think oh, no, it is. It's true. Yeah, I do. It's <laughs> just a bit of garnish on the side. Well, you know. So I guess down south they have like English boxes. Um, up here we've got philodendron xanadu. Mariah. 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 
I actually, I don't mind Maria. I actually do quite like Maria, but Fillet Engine Xanadu is the one that you love it. Xanadu, and I just. No, I don't love it, Daniel. You're misunderstanding my viewpoint. I don't love it. It's cheap and it looks okay. <laughs> it does look okay. And I guess your target market can't tell the difference. They just see green and it doesn't die. <laughs> Well, maybe they can. And if they can tell the difference, they're clever enough to know that they can just pull it out and put something else in. Whereas most yeah. Yeah, most people yeah. think, oh, well, that makes the house look good. And like they're looking at the colour of the kitchen. Yeah. You know, they're looking at how many cupboards are in a, at a property. They're not looking at whether it's Xanadu or some plant that's three times as expensive. I'm yeah. sorry. Okay, so if our listeners have ever wondered how they <laughs> – <laughs> if you've ever wondered how they keep ending up in all of these developments, well, it's because of people like my mum. So. Me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how long have plants. you hated Xanadu, Daniel? How long have I been putting them in? Yeah. Uh, like oh, at least as, 25. Yeah. I, I think I put them in at Atherton, that <laughs> development I did. Right. I probably I didn't I didn't know what I was looking at back then. All I saw was plants back then. It would have only been in the last ten years that I've started to differentiate between different plants. I had no idea what a Xanadu was back then. I just would have I would have looked at that in some rare alocasia as being basically the same thing. I, I would have no idea what the difference was. I'll just see yeah. like some aroidy shaped thing and I wouldn't even have the words to describe. A jungle plant I probably would have called it. Dad hates Xanadu because they've got those things like octopus legs and he, they you cut them off and they, <laughs> yeah. they have all this oozing sap. And he just, yeah. every time, like, you know, because we've had places that we've kept for periods of time as rentals or we've lived in them and they've always got Xanadu, right? And he hates them. Mm. And, like, he, he I'm going to cut that out. And I said, don't you dare, <laughs> don't you dare, I'm going to sell that. I need that there to look established. <laughs> <laughs> He hates them too, yeah. Daniel. Maybe you got it from him. Maybe I, I think I think I think at the I think I've always had a thing for like plants that I don't see every day, and they might be like really popular in other areas. Like I'm really into kangaroo paws at the moment, and it's not that I never see them around, but you just don't see them around that much in Brisbane. I mean, if I if I lived in because Perth, because it's be too humid. To <laughs> yeah, it's too humid. <laughs> I know, but when they can, when you find a cultivar that lives, it's like I don't know. It's just. I just like having something that's a bit different, and I know that that's probably a bit. Con- my, I do have a bit of a contrarian nature, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yep, <laughs> you do. <laughs> hey, I tell you, another one that Dad hates is bougainvillea, but like it's so oh, beautiful, yeah. right? When it's blooming, it's so beautiful. But <laughs> it's probably because he's the one who has to chop it. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. That's why he hates it. That's why. He, that's why he hates Xanadu is because they have those long trailing. Yeah dangly like alien things the one i love i love this one you've planted a quarter line underneath like a um underneath <laughs> i know a, what you're going to say I know, I know where you mean yeah it's, i know it's only like a it's meter a, high this little thing it's, like a, little gap, and it's it, a cantilevered part over and there's a garden under and then there's a like yeah and it it looks like you tell me it looks like Dr. Seuss. I call I, I had Chat GPT write a Dr. Seuss poem about it. Um <laughs> I wish I had it. I should have brought it up. It was so funny because um yeah, it it, it it's it you just can keeps insert trying to reach for the it. sun. It's doing loopy loops. I will insert it. It's doing <laughs> Shall we take a photo loops? of it? You can put it on your social media, whatever <laughs> you like those yeah. things that you have. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I did post about it on social media. It's doing loop-de-loops out trying to find the sun and then you pruned it because it started hitting its head on the roof <laughs> and now it's got two I arms. And it looks like one of those, um, you know, the, the inflatable men outside of a car yard. It looks like that. <laughs> it does. And do you know what is worse? I've sold that management rights now, and the lady, yeah. she's done exactly the same thing, but she cut she's it down lower, <laughs> right down yep. low, so it's going to, like, sprout yep. out right from the bottom. <laughs> and it's got years of life left in it yep. now that she's yep. cut it down really low. Mm. Oh, I love it. I love it. It's the plant you love to hate. So, uh, look, uh, I guess, is there anything else that uh, that a, a horticulturist, a landscaper, a landscape architect or an ecologist needs to know about working with someone like you? How can we get work off you? How can we get money out of you? How can we extract money from you, Mum? Well, I guess, um, like, be vigilant is the thing, is when, you know, people put out a quote, I'm just, I'm gobsmacked at people don't respond when I put out calls for a quote. Mm and you don't get response. Um, and I would ask, um, before you went to all the time of giving a quote, I'd ha- build up a bit of rapport on a phone call, like, you know, finding out a bit about the job and find out if somebody like me is tendering it out to 50 different people because mm. that's a waste of your time quoting, right? You don't want to use your time. You want to find out where you've got like one or two or perhaps three quotes that you're tendering mm. against. So ideally, you just want to be quoting for the job and they're, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm giving feedback yeah, so that people can hopefully t- tender and get work. But... Um, that would be something I'd find because um, if I'm asked openly about that, I'd, I, I, you know, I'll tell people. And I generally, I, I only like to get one, you know, two quotes or three quotes, not one quote, two quotes is what I like to get. But you'll, I guess you won't just send it off to the first 10 results on Google. You'll go through oh, your network no. and try and find someone. No. So try and build up a rapport with somebody. And I know it's confrontational to to do that, to actually make a face-to-face or at least make a phone call with somebody. But if you build up a rapport, you've got a lot more chance of getting the job rather than just quoting on a job. So rather than waste, not waste time, but use your time effectively. Um, If you're going to spend all that time quoting for a job, find out if you've got a real chance of getting it. And Mm -hmm. then if you have... Turn and I guess that's a skill. I don't, I don't know how you develop the skill to build up rapport, but that would be something. And I remember one time I was doing some, I was doing a job for somebody in between. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I was in the, the workforce, and and they said to me, I was sort of had one foot out the door because I had some, I had a development coming up, and I was ready to go, but. Um, I had to do some cold calling for six weeks. Oh, my gosh, it was just terrible. But it was the best thing I ever did, having that six weeks of cold calling and you develop, um, you just go next and next. But the the, the time when you, you got uh, success was when you're able to get rapport. And I think that's the key is if you build up a rapport that you know, you've got much more a higher chance of getting the job. So be a human, 
you got to be comfortable in your skin. I think people can smell, especially us Aussies, I think we can smell fakeness and we don't like mm. it. Like if you were just telling us what we want to hear. So it's a fine line between telling you what you want to hear but not making mm. you think that we're just telling you what you want to hear. <laughs> Genuinely. <laughs> <laughs> Shall I just replay that before I answer that? Or, like that was... <laughs> That was like that chord line. Too convoluted. (laughs) 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 Next question. Okay. Is there anything else you'd like the listeners to know about mum? If you're, like, if you're wanting to get work, I guess, you know, all those social media type um, ones, you know, those service seeking and high pages and, you know, mm. they give you some, they give you a kickback, mm. Daniel, do they? No. <laughs> Me? No, 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 no. I don't them at all. No. I'm just kidding. No, I'm just yeah. kidding. Um, no, but, because I guess you'd find the bottom of the barrel through them. Yeah, that's right. So you go through your network. Uh, no, not necessarily. Sometimes, uh, you know, you need to actually use that if you've got things at the last minute, right? You need a particular... Okay. I'll use that for sure. But, um, no, it's not just network. Um, Yeah, it's hard. Like I guess it's changed a bit, particularly over the last few years, how people find um, contractors. Um, Yeah, there are sites that you can tender on. As soon as somebody wins a job, um, you know, a lot of people put in, um, you know, expressions of interest saying they want to be considered for xyz part of it but um can you expand on that how can our listeners take advantage of that if if they're like wait 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 wait, what um i forget the name of the oh we'll have to research it daniel i can't think of them off the top of my head but there's um websites that when somebody wins a job they um will call for expressions of interest people who've got um, trades that they're looking for um, and it's in construction. Right. Forget the name of it. If you just pause it, I'll I'll search for it. I'll see if I can. Or you can just send it to me. In the, well, it just depends on how long you think it'll take to have a look. Have oh, a look. okay. So do you want to pause it? Oh, now. no, yeah, that's fine. No, we can. Yeah. yeah, if you want to. I mean, how long would that take? Is it just like a couple of minute thing or do you have to like, is it a I don't know. I can't. Oh, Charles was using them. Like he'd put yeah. up for, um, he'd, He'd put up, uh, he'd say, I've won this job and it'd go out to all these trades and then he'd mm. get expressions of interest. Uh, I'm a, an electrician, I'm looking for work. I'm mm. this, you know. And it- well, I'll tell you what, we'll put it in the show notes, but you'll just have to send it to me. Okay. Cool. So uh, we were halfway through. Is there anything else you want the listeners to know about? So what else do you want the listeners to know about, Mum? If you've got um, a development coming up in your area, you could watch uh, when um, building approvals go through so that um, you can be in the right place at the right time, Uh, finding the names of uh, developers and contact people on development sites that are close by, um, looking at council website for, um, you know, applications that go through. Um, yeah, I, I think this, this advice is for 
people who are just starting out in business, isn't it, Daniel? Somebody who's got an established business. Um, I'm I'm not a an expert in any of this. I'm just um, mm. telling you from my perspective. I mean, people who have businesses, they're you know much more adept at finding. Well, it depends than- on who they're targeting. I mean, not not necessarily, Mum. Maybe they're targeting um, residential homeowners who have been doing. Um- upgrades from when their kids leave the house. I mean, it depends on depends on who their main clients are. Um, there, there may be an opportunity for someone who's listening who is established in, the, in their trade to take on a new client base, and that may be a boon for their business. But I think that the initial reason for this episode and the, the, the main thing is just to tell us to get our heads out of our own butts and have a look at... Um, the fact that not everyone sees the world that we the, the same way that we do, and how does a developer see the world, and how can we um, meet on the same wavelength so that we can win more work? I guess that that's the main reason for this. Okay, episode. so by the time that I've got to the end of a development, honestly, um, to be honest, the landscaping is um, is if I get to the end of the development, everything's okay, and we're you know landscaping and I just. You know, we high fives. So, um, I have to get the certification ticked off, and from a you know, I just need it ticked off. I don't need a whole heap mm. of. So it's like water travels in the path of least resistance, but that's that's basically what you're looking for. You are like water, looking for the path of least resistance to get where you're going. You don't want someone to come in with all their I'll ideas. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you. Okay, so by the time that I get to the end of a development, the landscaping is its almost an afterthought, to be honest, and I'm really sorry for your whole industry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really sorry for your whole industry that it's like that, but this is just the reality of it. I guess for a homeowner, it's really exciting to have a beautiful garden and everything, but for a development, you you a lot of times you've got pre-sales and so you've just got to have the landscaping certified because you've already got like a sale. You've just got to make sure that you don't muck up the pre-sale, that they don't refuse to settle because you didn't put in X, Y, Z plant. I just, you know, that, that doesn't happen, right? Mm. So, um, you know, and you're just ticking a box about certification for the landscaping. So you've just not got much scope to add, value add. It's just going to be what is on the um, landscape mm. plan that has to be done. And if I could cut out some of that that's on the landscape plan and still get it certified, <laughs> I'd do that. Oh, well. Yeah, like the quarter lines and the Xanadu's out the back. Yes, get rid of the quarter <laughs> lines and Xanadu's and put mm. it into street cake, skate trees at the front. All right, Mum. Well, thanks for a great chat. Love ya. It was great. And good luck with the editing, Daniel. <laughs> Our industry thrives in open dialogue, and necrosis creeps in when we fail to cross-pollinate. Don't think too deeply about that metaphor, because it's botanically incorrect. Shout out to my mum for raising me. I think we can all agree that she did a great job. If you found this episode entertaining and eye-opening, share it with a friend a family member, or a workmate who needs to hear it. Click that little bendy arrow and either copy the link or share directly through your favourite messaging platform.